Hi there, and welcome back to Building Better Basketball. I'm Neil Gray, the Community Coach and Volunteer Development Manager at Basketball Australia, and I'm really pleased today to welcome along Cody Royal for today's episode. Cody was born in Canberra and was a rugby league fan at a young age, and apparently quite the coach, drawing plays and executing them in his front yard. Moving to Melbourne, he was bitten by the Aussie rules bug and played state footy at 15s, 16s and 18s, but never cracked the pros and drifted away from playing but not coaching. He began his coaching journey with the Calder Cannons and then moved to Canada where he's coaching the men's national team. That's not why we have him here with us today. On top of his own head coaching experience, Cody spent the better part of the last decade interviewing dozens of the world's most thoughtful coaches to learn from them and incorporate their ideas into his coaching and sharing them with the world through his books and podcasts. The little boy from Canberra with the Book of Rugby League plays now presents around the world on the art of coaching across sports from rowing to curling to lacrosse and every team sport in between. It's great to have you here with us today, Cody, and I can't get can't wait to get stuck into a few of these questions. Uh, thanks for having me, Neil. That's quite the intro. I uh, I wasn't expecting that, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's very funny to be a, a little boy from Canberra. I used to go to Canberra Cannons games. Uh, now sitting in an apartment in downtown Toronto, about a block from where the Raptors uh, won the NBA championship. So it's quite the journey. Cody, you've um, you've had quite the journey through your um, coaching background, both uh, on um, on task and researching. Um, and a lot of what you've kind of talked about is supporting coaches and being a mentor to coaches, both yourself and studying how those relationships have worked. Can you tell me a little bit about what what you've seen that entailing and how coach mentoring really works? Yeah, well, I think what we probably don't appreciate is how big the role of a head coach has become in the last you know, 15 or 20 years. Um, obviously at the professional level, it's become exponentially larger than it used to be. You know, you've now got departments and you know, you've got a whole analytics department and a whole high performance department. And, the, you know, the whole organization has become oversized. And then that has also been mimicked a little bit at the community level where it's really not just showing up with cones and balls and kind of laying them out and actually coaching. The, the head coach has been asked to do a lot more at every level, but the support infrastructure around the coach to deliver that is really quite flimsy and hasn't kept up to date with that speed of change. And so, uh, yeah, maybe accidentally I've ended up in this world um, through my own coaching experience and learnings and writings. But uh, what I run into on a day-to-day -day basis now is essentially coaches who feel a little bit stuck and they feel a little bit disconnected from the actual coaching part by everything else that they're being asked to do, whether that be parents or within the organization or um, yeah, all the kind of away from on the court, on the grass coaching tends to stifle the coaching, which is a big issue because that has a huge knock-on effect to the players, obviously. So with, um, with mentoring, you're obviously looking at it from both the um, mentor perspective, but also the, the mentee perspective. What are some of the key relationships that need to exist between those two um, groups? 
yeah, so I call myself a coach because I, I coach coaches the way that uh, I would coach players. And so it, it does become, you know, like a coach player relationship in, in a certain sense in that, you know, it's, we co-create solutions, we reflect together, we analyze things together. Um, and so, you know, those bonds need to be quite strong and the trust needs to be quite strong. Um, and the reason I, I make that differentiation is I think that's a coaching relationship. A, a mentor tends to be someone who's kind of been there and done that and is just telling you a bunch of things about how they got there. Um, whereas I, I don't do that necessarily as really getting in on the ground level and saying, I've been a coach too and a fair chance I've run into um, similar situations. So let's try to come up with a solution together um, based on that. And so, yeah, I mean, that those relationships need to be just so littered with trust and, um, you know, belief in each other and, and ultimately optimism uh, so that they can function properly and a coach can kind of get back to feeling like they're really connected to their coaching and they're involved in it and they have, you know, agency over it and control over it. And so, uh, yeah, the funny thing is it, it does end up also being like a coach athlete relationship when they start to succeed, you know, they kind of have that glint in their eye on a meeting where they're like, you know, we, we talked about that thing and, and I went out and did it and it worked. And, you know, you see their eyes light up like a player when you teach them a new skill. And so, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's also, um, really rewarding from that side of things as well. Yeah. That was one of the, the things I was going to ask. What, what's the what's the hook for people to want to to become a mentor obviously the mentee is getting that kind of experience of um of their knowledge and um and helping them on their journey so for for you the the, the coach of the coach or the or the mentor whatever um term people feel comfortable using there their reason for getting into it is the same as every coach gets into to working with players they want to help someone get better they want to develop but what what do you think that the mentor or coach of the coaches can learn about themselves during that process do you think mm. yeah i mean if you've been a coach before it's a little bit different in that it's not your outcomes anymore and so um, you know, like my, I don't see my role as being to change any of the coaches that I work with. My, my role is to help them become the best version of whatever they're trying to become. And so, um, you know, that actually probably differs from the way a lot of coach developers think about it in that, you know, they think that they're, all, they're almost in control of who the coach is trying to become. Uh, I don't think about it like that. So, there is a little bit of difference there in terms of the reward that, that I feel. Um, but yeah, you know, ultimately what happens is you, you co-create these solutions or you guide someone's awareness towards something that maybe they hadn't considered before. And they ultimately make a better decision based on that. And so the, the reward is that you see them go through that and, and mature into you know, closer to the, the, the person and the coach that they want to be. And so I, I get a lot of joy out of those things. And then 
what happens is the knock-on effect is the team perform better. That's the whole thing here is that you know, an optimised coach who's making better decisions, who's uh, you know, noticing the right things, who's communicating at their absolute optimum, they create better teams. And so that's obviously the goal in, in the end. But yeah, there's a, you've got to, I've got to uh, see success in the journey um, to really get those. Because they're not my team outcomes. I've just helped a tiny piece of the puzzle along the way. And so I try to enjoy those. Um, Cody, some of the people uh, listening to this might recently have read a, an article that you wrote about the um, AFL coaches as well that's come out in the last couple of days. And with the season around the corner, and I was watching it, um, one of the, the football shows last night, and they were talking about the impact of the soft cap on the um, mental toll of the coaches and their workload having to increase and having to, to take more on. Can you tell us a little bit from all the, the work and the study you've done around the, uh, the world and the different sports, where, what the kind of trajectory of the mental toll of, of coaching is? Yeah, so this goes back to a, a little bit of what I mentioned in the first uh, answer was, you know, the size of things has become so astronomical now that ultimately a, a head coach does less coaching and more management. They're almost like CEOs now. And so, you know, involved in all sorts of decision-making, all sorts of political decisions, all sorts of, uh, you know, managing of staff, where you know 20 years ago i'll use afl as an example 20 years ago it was like a head coach and an assistant coach and you might have brought in a darren burgess or someone as a fitness coach so you you might have had like three staff but the doctor would they, the doctor would be a doctor <laughs> and they would come to the club in the evenings to maybe assess a couple of the players and the physio would be a physio in their own practice and they would come and they would, you know, um, do some massage and some manipulation and things like that. And so you weren't really managing this bevy of full-time staff on top of trying to coach on top of commercial on top of all that kind of thing. And so, um, yeah, the job has become outsized. The support infrastructure hasn't kept up uh, and we've just kept adding onto the, the, um, the emotion the, old, the emotional bandwidth of coaches and they've taken it on because they're natural servants of people. And that's pretty much at a breaking point now, which is, yeah, you know, the, the article in the age by, by Peter Ryan was, was a great example of that, but it's not the only one the writing has been on the wall for probably five years uh, globally, not just in Aussie rules that we're, we're going to drive someone into the ground um, at the pro level and then you see the same signs at the community level, unfortunately, is um, coaches have had to take on too much. And um, uh, yeah, we need to start to undo some of that. And um, I, I would actually argue just quickly on the, on the soft cap, I, I would actually argue that we probably had too much in the first place. I, I can make an argument that reduced staff and smaller and simpler is probably better than what we had uh, we didn't need the 26th assistant coach in the AFL. It, it was too much already. And so I, I, I get the, the conversation, but I actually think we should be looking at that as 
as a positive rather than a negative. It will definitely be, uh, it'll be interesting to, to see how it plays out. Um, I saw Collingwood were pushing back very hard against it. So I'm sure it will stay front page of the newspapers for a while. Um, what, obviously, you've got experience at, at both ends of the, the spectrum, both um, community all the way through to the, the highest of high performance. Is there one or, or maybe a couple of really important things that you see from a coaching perspective that stay the same, whether you're coaching a, a, a side on a Thursday night at the local gym through to someone coaching daily, weekly through to the, the highest level? Yeah, I mean, the, the obvious one is is that emotional toll and, and that, um, you know, feeling of depletion as a starting point, whether you're, you know, working nine to five and then going and coaching, you know, a, a regional team or your, your daughter's team or whatever it may be is when your starting point is already a state of depletion, you know, your primary coaching skills, um, you know, awareness, communication and decision-making are already impacted by the fact that you're, you haven't slept well and, and you've put up with your boss all day. And then you've, you know, you know, you've got to go and get dinner after that. And so your mind's racing and, and it, it impacts your ability to be engaged with the team and you know, use those primary coaching skills as best you can. And so that is not something that, you know, is just something that Popovich and Brett Brown and, and, you know, Nick Nurse are dealing with. That is across the board, head coaches are, are dealing with, with that. Um, and then, you know, I'd also flip it around and say there's, there's also opportunities for us at, at every level to get back to, you know, some sense of simplicity and, you know, coaching craft and, um, you know, really innovating within coaching and coming together as a community, you know, talk about solutions that could be innovative, that could free up time to do other things or um, ideas from other invasion sports about, you know, tactical in innovations. Um, those have huge crossover as well. You know, everyone, everyone at the pro level is trying to learn from other sports to get, you know, tactical nuances. We can do that at the at the community level as well football and netball clubs uh, are merged together um you know basketball and netball are often on the same courts um you know things like that that can not only be a tactical innovation for us as coaches but also just have us understand that it's not just us individually that's dealing with these issues you know head coaches as a community we are dealing with the same things, whether we're yeah coaching under 14 netball or whether we're Sandy Brondello. It, what you're saying there just reminded me of something. So when I was doing my coaching qualifications, one of the things that we had to do was um, observe other high-performance coaches. And I, um, my wife was a, a teacher at a secondary school and I actually went and watched the, uh, I'm not sure if you've even heard of this, Cody, I went and watched an underwater hockey team train. And I was fascinated about that because the coach was having to communicate to the athletes in a way where they came up for air and then went back down because the puck was on the, the 
floor of the of the pool. So the communication that he was having to give to the players was having to be absolute, like to the second, short, sharp before they were back down there, kind of thing. So the something that was totally ungame related, but was totally about the art of coaching, about how you communicate messages to players, how you um, have keywords, things like that. Has there been a have you during all the different sports that you've looked at? Has there been a time where you've been watching something or sitting with someone and you've just gone, I've I've never thought of that. That's uh, that's incredible. I'll give you the the opposite example. Um, so watching basketball coaches at timeouts uh, just speak made me change how I addressed our players at quarter time and three quarter time. Uh, in a you know in a time condensed period, so you know um, what I was looking at was do the players have any sort of input into like are they feeding anything back to the coaches because if I just if I have a thirty second timeout or a minute timeout and I just talk as the coach, you haven't taken the time to hear the perception of the players. And so you're only getting half the message. It's your perception of what's going on, not a full, well-rounded perception. And so I actually did the opposite. I, I changed my personal approach to, <laughs> um, to Aussie Rules quarter time breaks um, after observing that. And so, but, I mean, there, there are so many things that we could pinch from, from other sports because, you know, team invasion sports are ultimately underneath all the veneer they're the same sport it's there's a goal at both ends and the objective is to get the, the ball or the puck in the goal of the opposition while they get to defend their goal and so at a really really conceptual level we can all learn from each other within that ecosystem awesome um cody what's one tip you would have for a coach on something they can do to, to make themselves better. Like it, just one thing that a coach should go away, should like a recommendation of something to read or something to listen to or something to, to do a bit more research in too. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you what's captivated me recently has been uh, neuroscience and, um, and really, I mean, if there's a book to read, it would be Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain by Lisa Feldman Barrett. So she's the, I think, the most cited neuroscientist in the world and, um, you know, really unravels a lot of misconceptions about even things that are pretty solidly believed in sport and coaching um, that, have been debunked by neuroscience. So, you know, how we learn and how the brain operates and, and ways to potentially train the brain to get the same results that we're currently getting. Uh, and so, you know, the, the thing with, with her work, her books is that, you know, it's not neuroscience-y. And so, you know, anyone can kind of pick it up and it's almost written for us as just people. And so, um, you know, that's been really interesting to me because, it, yeah, like I said, it, it was one of those books where it was so impactful on me and I realised that I'd been going about my daily life the wrong way for a long time, <laughs> uh, let alone how I coach. Uh, and so, yeah, I, mean, I would pay attention 
to to psychology and neuroscience and like how the brain is working uh, i think our job is ultimately you know behavior and behavior change and and so there's so much for us to learn there that we think we've learned but i don't think we've even scratched the surface of awesome um Cody, i'm gonna ask everyone this question that we we are lucky enough to have on the podcast so you you're our first guest so you can uh take take your pick from the whole world of of sport or life so who's one coach either it can be alive or dead that you you would like to ask a question to and, and what would it be yeah i think on so many levels i'd like to sit with bill belichick um probably not so much because of all the winning, but uh, I'd love to ask him about like right now, how, you know, I think someone who's nearing 70 is coaching players that are still 21, 22, 23. I hear so much about the generational gap and how you know we we can't associate with kids these days and everyone's you know TikTok and everyone's kind of grumbling and and but still there's this guy who seems to have an emotional intelligence that's through the roof and is he didn't even understand Facebook, let alone the next iterations of TikTok and, and everything else that's come subsequent. So how is he connecting to young athletes and having them perform at a high level still given all of that conversation around kids being different because i i don't necessarily believe that conversation and and i'm curious someone who's doing it at the highest level how they're doing it yeah definitely that would be uh, he would have if he was open and and willing to talk i imagine you'd be able to sit there for hours and hours on end um, Cody, can you tell everyone where they can um, find out a bit more about what you're doing and, and keep in touch with you? And um, yeah, obviously I touched on earlier about your book as well. So please um, let, let everyone know about that. Yeah, I mean, the easiest place to find me is codyroyal.com. I've centralized everything there. So, you know, access to the, my books and uh, I've got a podcast and some of the other writing and just general ramblings that I've uh, put together are, are all there and uh, LinkedIn and Twitter are the easiest places to find me. And with a name like Cody Royal, uh, I'm very easy to find. Uh, there are, I think there's maybe one other kid that's in Denver, Colorado somewhere, but I got all the good uh, Twitter <laughs> handles and everything. So um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very easy to find online. Awesome, thanks for your time. Cody and um, yeah, we look forward to um, continuing to to read more about your research and and all the fantastic work you're doing. So th thank you very much. Thanks for having me.